Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Aaron Jones, bringing you the best nonpartisan information that you need to know. Welcome back to an August version of Need to Know, where we take things a little slower, but you know, foreign policy news just keeps coming. So we find ourselves in a situation where there are several news stories that have been breaking over the last couple of weeks. And one of those is the news surrounding TikTok and WeChat, Chinese-owned technology companies, uh, which have seen some action in both Congress and in uh, the, the White House. So we have joining us today someone who's been on our show before, Ray Zong from the Kissinger Institute on China and the U.S. here at the Woodrow Wilson Center. Ray, welcome back to the Need to Know podcast. Glad to be back, Aaron. So help us understand, I guess, how we should look at TikTok and WeChat. Are they, they, they are technology companies, they're Chinese owned. Can you tell us a little bit about the structure and kind of what the concern is? Sure. So WeChat owned by Tencent is on the surface a chatting app, but also can serve as a digital wallet, as a way to hail a taxi, to order hotel rooms, so on and so forth. So the types of data that WeChat collects, especially within China, it really is a comprehensive app that allows for a profile of the user to be built based on the permissions. Uh, TikTok is a social media app that it was developed by ByteDance, which also owns uh, Toutiao, an algorithmic news aggregator within China. And they entered the United States as TikTok. They still operate in China as Douyin, but um, the concern for TikTok is also that app permissions within uh user registration is collecting personal data as people browse it, as they use algorithmic suggestions, and as they upload content to the app itself. So that has been a cause for concern for U.S. regulators, especially as China's cybersecurity and data guidelines are become more and more closely linked to China's security interests. So when we're talking about what a Chinese company is doing to Americans, is this something that there's evidence that they are taking American data and using it somehow? So a couple of days ago, a French security researcher did a dive into TikTok's logs. And as so far as they're concerned, TikTok's hasn't really turned up anything especially fishy security-wise. It seems like the data that they're digging is garden variety for social media, not to say that that amount of data that they're pulling is great from a privacy perspective, but he did not find any signs of anything really, really distinct in terms of um, security. As for WeChat, um, it's known a known quantity among Chinese nationals in the Chinese diaspora for very heavy monitoring of content that's been posted on there. Uh, Citizen Lab, which is a tech research think tank in Canada, has seen um, 
WeChat filter out certain words or, or images that are considered to be politically sensitive, even across uh, different geographical zones. So someone in Canada sending messages to China on June 4th, 1989, or Tibet, or the Dalai Lama might find that their messages don't go over. And during politically tumultuous times, such as the death of Dr. Li Wenliang earlier this year, um, these guidelines for what was politically sensitive expanded and law enforcement authorities did use those um, guidelines to shut down accounts or to find and uh, seal certain groups. Li Wenliang himself was made to sign the confession that he did, that he wouldn't quote unquote spread rumors based off of a WeChat message in a private group. Just to remind our listeners, this is the doctor who kind of was raising the red flags about coronavirus in Wuhan. Yes, that was that was him. And later, tragically, he succumbed to coronavirus and people were quite angry for some time at intransparency of how information was able to circulate within Chinese social media and China's mainstream discussion spaces. So tell us a little bit about what with these executive orders, they don't take place, they don't really go into effect until next month. What is going to be the practical effect that they're going to have uh, on these two companies? Sure. So as of right now, which is August 10th, 2020, the executive orders are set to restrict transactions with WeChat and TikTok's parent company. So it's ostensibly going to come into effect September 20th, 2020. Uh, And this really gets at some of the business relationships with American firms between Chinese and American tech firms. And so this really uh, raises the question of, well, how will WeChat and TikTok function on Apple devices, which not o- is not only used by Americans, but also you know people outside of the US. Apple has been quite concerned about its China market. And so uh, this is probably something that Silicon Valley is scrambling to figure out the details of, but transactions, uh, with with WeChat and TikTok could mean that their um, presence on app stores is restricted or they're taken off of app stores. And so what happens is that it really just decouples, in another sense, American and Chinese corporations. It seems like with TikTok, they've said, we don't hand over our information to the Chinese government. How can how can an American believe that? I mean, there are, there seems to be plenty of evidence that the Chinese government, you know, uses WeChat or monitors and, and does that with WeChat. Why should we expect that TikTok would be different? I mean, TikTok, it's functionally speaking, not going to try to sidestep the Chinese government. Um, ByteDance has no incentive to necessarily go the other way when it comes to things that intermingle with China's security interests. 
typically what firms are getting at when they say we won't turn over data, the, the act typically doesn't happen. And typically speaking, uh, if there's a security issue that is flagged, they just typically hand it over. They might, you know, start self-censoring things uh, on their platforms that are considered politically sensitive. TikTok has been dinged before uh, for potentially suppressing videos and content that's related to the Hong Kong protests. And so uh, they're sort of in this gray area where the presence of, you know, direct political instruction by China's government and the CCP may or may not be there, but some of the actions may align with China's um, political interests anyway. Having said that, we do want to um, remember that the data collection itself is not something sort of new, something necessarily that's more uh, extensive and data mining activities than Facebook or other American social media applications. Right. So if you're if you're concerned about privacy and all of the things that go along with that, you're going to have the same objections with Facebook and, and Instagram and some of the other companies that are in this space. Yes. Um, and the issue of data standards in the United States has been something that both China analysts and tech analysts um, have been really, really pushing in order to try to make sure that it's not a game of whack-a-mole in which companies that um, violate certain data standards or certain policy uh, standards just get dinged over and over again. It's not necessarily the most efficient way of dealing with data misconduct or privacy misconduct. However, US-China uh, relations are bad. Uh, it's an election year and uh, a lot of politicians might want red meat in appearing to be tough on China and or tough on tech. And so you have, you know, instances where um, the, the company might need to be ma made an example of. Uh, and so it's, it's a combination of domestic politics uh, and also the sort of preferences of certain corporations that maybe don't want stricter data standards across the board. They're, uh, you know, happier with sort of more lax or self-regulated data standards and then like TikTok being pilloried in the public square um, as a course of action. So uh, you mentioned Hong Kong there a bit ago. Let's pivot there because there is you know, a sort of related issue here. Uh, we had a several episodes that we have done with Robert Daly on this uh, with the national security law that Beijing had presented uh, and was passed uh, despite the massive protests that we saw in Hong Kong over the last several months. And um, I guess it's really been about a year now that this is going on. And now Hong Kong is moving to implement this national security law. On Sunday night, we saw the arrests of Hong Kong publisher 
Jimmy Lai and several others uh, based on this national security law. So this all really kind of touches on how Beijing uses technology and privacy issues and rule of law issues. Tell us about what's going on there. So the tech component of the national security law, um, I think legal scholars have raised the question of, well, given the broad scope of you know, national security and conduct, could this necessarily uh, flag people as suspect uh, when they're making posts abroad uh, or you know, online conduct of Hong Kong's international diaspora, so people living outside of Hong Kong um, and some of whom may have citizenship in other places. Um, so, so far, law enforcement has actually been looking at conduct of um, activists or organizers overseas because as people are trying to raise attention uh, to the ways that protesters are being treated by law enforcement to the conduct of Carrie Lam, if that necessarily runs afoul of things stated in the new national security law, um, the local law enforcement is seeing it as an opportunity to enforce it, even though it's in a digital space like Twitter. And so this is a very troubling trend in terms of free expression. And certainly much different than anything anyone who lives in Hong Kong and is a citizen of Hong Kong is used to, right? They, they, and really, I think we've heard from the administration uh, essentially, they are not seeing Hong Kong as an autonomous region of China anymore, that they are now being run by the Beijing government. And this is more evidence of that. Yes. Well, Beijing has definitely assumed more uh, direct controls over the governance of Hong Kong. And um, obviously the security related policy of it. But I do want to emphasize that Hong Kong people have never really been able to have an autonomous democratic system. It essentially transitioned from a uh, colonial government over to this sort of hybrid type government after 1997. The chief executive uh, role is not a role that is uh, up for direct election. Um, and as of right now, we're also seeing the usage of emergency powers to delay um, elections due to COVID-19 by Carrie Lam. And also the types of uh, arrests for politicians within Hong Kong's Legislative Council and for more local level politicians, that's also been on the rise. And so what is happening on the overall political trends is that the discursive space and the space to practice politics is tightening rapidly. And just to remind everyone, Carrie Lam is the chief executive of Hong Kong. And you mentioned though that person is placed there really at the order of Beijing. There is, there are some uh, democratic votes that have taken place, but they're on the local level. I guess not local, it's a city. So kind of at the ward or district level. Am I correct on that? They they have a legislative council and uh, more local level government, um, but 
in terms of how elections shake out, um, people have, locals haven't been happy with the amount of uh, political power that Beijing, that, that Beijing is still able to wield in terms of the leg co makeup and the chief executive um, selection. Well, we appreciate you keeping an eye on that. And I just wanted to bring that in because of how it does interlink uh, with how Beijing wants to use technology. I'm not suggesting that they're using WeChat and TikTok for those purposes in Hong Kong, but there is a, you know, there is a linkage there. As of early July 2020, TikTok actually pulled out of Hong Kong and um, they were they took the app off of Android and Apple app stores. Um, and so this freeze really just uh, sort of raised a lot of questions on the nature of how, how it was able to access data. Hong Kong has generally been considered a semi-autonomous region. And so this move was seen as, you know, why are they suddenly, in light of this national security law, pausing operations within this market. Interesting. Okay. Appreciate that. And, uh, well, we always enjoy having uh, our Kissinger Institute experts on, especially as China has become more and more in the news. And I'm certainly certain it's going to remain that way for several months, maybe even years going into the future. Ray Zong from the Kissinger Institute, I appreciate you joining us once again. Yeah, no problem. 